Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. A few months ago, I had some I was able to experience something I haven't able to experience as an adult. Um, I grew up in Southern California, and um, in Southern California, there was only one basketball team to root for. (laughs) It's the Lakers. When it came to easy, easy, we're just getting started. When it came to other sports, though, it was kind of like we got to choose what team to root for. There was other opportunities, and so I remember as a football fan, my older brother uh, was a Raider fan, my other uh, brother was a Charger fan, and I remember the day in school that I learned that the Bengal Tiger was from India. And I thought, naturally, this is my team. You say, how does a boy from Southern California root for a team from Ohio? It's because they're Bengals, and Bengals are from India. So I thought, this is natural for me. And so I rooted for the Bengals when I was seven, eight years old, didn't know anything about them. They were in the Super Bowl a couple times when I was younger, but I didn't really remember much of it. Um, And then in January and February, they just started doing really good in the playoffs all of a sudden. And can I just tell you, if you have a team that's really good in the NFL, it is a stressful event for them to play football games. It just is really stressful. So the Super Bowl happened during our missions conference. The next day, uh, Libby and I uh, were flying out to Mexico City for vacation. So after church on Sunday, we had about three hours to get to Portland, where we would watch the Super Bowl um, in Portland. And then the next day, we would fly out for Mexico City. And we went and watched, and it was so stressful to watch that game. Of course, the Bengals lost. But I remember when I was packing for the trip, I thought, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to wear Bengal stuff on that Monday. If we win, it'll be great to wear Bengal stuff. And if we lose, that's okay. I'm still a Bengal fan. So I wore Bengal stuff on that Monday morning. We got on the plane and I'm wearing Bengal stuff. And you could just see all the sympathetic, pitiful looks people gave me (laughs) as I would walk by with my Bengal hat and my Bengal shirt and just making sure I'm okay. We get to Mexico City, and no joke, we get there, we get into the taxi, we go to the resort, we get on the resort. The very first person we see at the resort is a young man from Mexico, obviously, and he's there, and he's helping us with our bags. We get into this little golf cart, and he just looks at me, and he looks at my shirt, and he goes, lo siento, I'm sorry. And then he says, you want to talk about it? And I didn't know what to say, and we're there, and another couple was there with us, and we go, and he's driving along, and he goes, you know what the problem was? They didn't have a good defense. Now, as silly and as uh, not well articulated of a segue as that is, today we're looking at a good defense from Peter. It makes all the difference in the world. So just to recap, we've taken about three or four weeks talking about Peter and Cornelius, right? Um, And it's a wonder, really, why does Luke spend so much time describing this interaction? He's taken up a lot of literary value of a few chapters to explain both what happened before Peter met Cornelius, while he met Cornelius, and now 
after he met Cornelius. You'll remember that Cornelius is a centurion. He's a Gentile. And Peter gets a vision while Cornelius also gets a vision. Cornelius's vision was this. You're going to go and you're going to meet a man named Peter. And you're going to go and send men to go talk to Peter and have Peter come visit you. That was a pretty simple vision. Peter's vision was a little bit more complicated. Peter's vision was about this sheet that was uh, coming down from heaven. And uh, it was a sheet filled with all kinds of animals. Now, this was uh, important because these animals were uh, designed to be food for Peter. But in the Jewish custom, there were some foods that were appropriate to eat and some foods that were not appropriate to eat. And so all of these foods were together in this sheet. And when Peter saw it, the vision, in the vision, there was a voice that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. In other, in other words, um, have yourself a meal based on the food that's in this sheet. Now, what happens in Jewish culture is if there is unclean foods that touch clean foods, not only are the unclean foods no longer fit to eat, neither are the clean foods. So in that sheet, there would have been uh, lambs and uh, cows, but there also was uh, pigs. There was shellfish. There was these other kinds of foods. And because they had touched together, no longer were just the impure foods not appropriate to eat, neither were the pure foods anymore. Three times this vision happened for Peter, and Peter every time says no, and he says no again, and he says no again. And while he's pondering, why am I getting this vision, there's a knock on the door, remember, and the people from Cornelius now have come to Peter. Now, where's Peter staying? Everyone remember? He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Now, he's staying at someone's house who's not a Jewish person who's keeping the law exactly as they should. In fact, uh, staying at Simon the Tanner's house was inappropriate. It was not, uh, uh, not appropriate for him to do. So he's already skirting the lines with his customs and traditions. Now he's being uh, introduced to these foods that normally he would not be able to eat under any circumstances. These men come from Cornelius and they explain to him that he is, to, he is being invited to go to Cornelius. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord says, this is what the vision is about. This is what I need you to consider. And so now Peter goes to Cornelius' house uh, we read the story that when Cornelius is there, not only is he there, but all of his friends are there. His family is there. People from the company and the guard are there. And Peter experiences something he'd never experienced before. And that is this. When he began to explain what it was the gospel was, the Holy Spirit came upon them as Gentiles. As outsiders, they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came on Jewish people, and we saw them speak in tongues. We saw miraculous things happen, and all of them began to follow Christ. Here, the same thing happens, but it was completely against what they expected, because now it was happening to outsiders. So, Paul, so Luke takes an incredible amount of literary space in the book of Acts to explain all this. And the reason why is because what we're seeing now is the acceptance of outsiders into the kingdom of God. Remember where we started in Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses where? Where's the first place? This is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, it's happening in Jerusalem. 
They're witnesses in Jerusalem. They're witnesses in the temple. The Jewish people are seeing exactly what's happening. And then he says, not only that, but you'll be witnesses in Judea and in Samaria. We went through Acts chapters 5 and 6, and we saw the people outside of Jerusalem, just on the outskirts, are now getting the gospel. They're now hearing about the very truth about Jesus. And now it is to the ends of the earth. So first it was Samaritans, now it's Gentiles, so outsiders are now receiving the gospel. And so when we get to Acts chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul has to make a good defense. The Jerusalem leadership is very upset. Let's read what happens. Acts chapter 11 verse 1 says this, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You went with uncircumcised men, uh, outsiders, people that aren't Jewish, and you ate with them. This is the charge levied against him. Now, when we open chapter 11, uh, throughout this point, Peter has already been pushing the envelope. He stayed at the uh, Simon the Peter, uh, the Tanner's house. He stayed, uh, he stayed with them. He went into uh, Cornelius's house. He had the meal with Cornelius. But this idea that he would actually eat with those Gentiles, those outsiders, went contradictory to their expectations of how the gospel was supposed to be lived out. If you're following in your notes, fulfilling the Great Commission was something that confused and defended many people of faith. Now, the charges against him were simple. You went and you hung out with them. You went and you ate with them. You went and you shared a meal with them. Don't you know all of the purification that you're going to have to go through? Don't you know all the different ways that you're going to have to ritually cleanse yourself now, Peter? I can't believe you ate with them. Do you remember what the charge was against Jesus in his day? We'll read it here in a minute, but it was the same charge. Jesus, I can't believe you'd eat with those people. Don't you know they're sinners? Don't you know that they're the worst of the worst? Don't you know that we don't even associate with them? Don't you know that we'd never share a meal with them? If you go and look at it in Luke 15, it says this, the charge against Jesus is he would sit down and eat with them. Now sharing a meal shared special significance in that time and culture. We've talked about this before, but sharing a meal for us is relatively simple. Uh, Some of us might have even eaten a meal in our car last week. That's how little we think of eating meals. But in the Jewish culture, eating a meal meant you spent days preparing for it. It meant that you baked bread for the occasion. It meant that you were inviting people into your home. It meant that you were uh, sharing this sacred space. And you know as well as I do that uh, it's one thing to come to church, but it's one thing to have a picnic outdoors with our church family, right? The conversations we have are different. The activities, the clothes that we wear are a little bit different. Friendships deepen over meal. Relationships grow, and this is what was significant. I think it's one of the reasons Jesus chose a meal to introduce a way to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. Because he knew through the generations, the one thing we would all have in common is we would all share a meal at some point. And so Jesus introduces 
uh, communion as a way to remember the death, the burial, and resurrection. In fact, anytime in Acts, if you were to read through the first 11 chapters and you just marked anytime food is mentioned, you'll see that something really special is happening in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, when it's mentioned that they would eat their meals together, what had just happened is Peter preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. Later in Acts 10, what did God use to arrest Peter's attention in order to show him that the gospel was for everyone? All different kinds of food. Luke 15, this is the charge that Jesus was criticized with. It says this, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Everybody make a face like you're grumbling. Some of you didn't change your face at all. (laughs) We'll just leave that alone. Uh, They grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So in many ways, the reaction to Peter's meal with Cornelius was predictable. The reaction of the Christian Jews saw how significant the change was that God initiated in Acts chapter 10. The change said this to the Gentiles. You don't have to become a Jew first. You don't have to put yourself under the law of Moses first. You get to repent, believe, and now you can come and be part of us. It also said to Jewish followers, once, you, uh, once a Gentile, an outsider, receives a brother and sis, uh, receives Christ, they are now your brothers and sisters, full members of the family of God. Now, here's the thing. The Jewish people looked at everyone that was an outsider as a second-tier citizen. They were here, and everybody else was here. Samaritans were here. Gentiles were here. If you weren't circumcised, you were here. If you were a tanner, you were here. If you had one of these unclean jobs, you were here. If you were an outsider, you were here. And no matter what you could do, you could never become part of God's people because that's where we are. Now what Jesus was saying is this, what the gospel was saying is this, when someone receives Jesus, when someone believes in them with all their heart, we now are equals together at the foot of the cross. Now, this was very hard for them to get used to. And so the church wanted answers. They came to Peter and said, explain yourself what is happening. So Peter ends up defending the ministry to the Gentiles. Verse 4, it says this. Peter began and explained it to them in order. Now, the Greek word here, explained, is really interesting because it marks this... um, This way that Peter explained where he didn't lord his authority above them. He didn't lord his apostleship above him. He simply explained everything as it happened. So what we're getting in Luke chapter 11 is a recount of what has just happened. Many of this will be familiar for those who were here the last few weeks. Verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Verse 6, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, right? For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. You see the discipline there for Peter's life, by the way? Nothing common or unclean. I've never broke this rule. I've never had cheese. I've never had ham. I've never had uh, bacon. I've never had uh, uh, shrimp. I've never had any of these elements that, that, according to the Jewish law, you have demeaned, you have deemed as being unclean. I've never let that touch my lips. Why would I do that now? Verse 9. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, Peter thought he was talking about food, 
But Peter came to understand the vision of the seed and the kosher and unkosher animals had to do with people, not food. We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. The priority now for followers of Jesus Christ would be people and relationships rather than traditions and customs. The priority now for followers of Jesus Christ would be people and relationships rather than traditions and customs. I think it's beautiful because in the Old, or in the New Testament, I should say, in the Gospels, when Jesus was accused of something uh, blasphemous, when he was accused of something that just went against the status quo, when he was accused of doing these things, most of the root of that was he went against the customs and traditions of the day. When he healed someone and it happened to be the Sabbath, when he, uh, when he taught in the synagogue and perhaps he didn't have the authority to do, all of these different things that Jesus was accused of went against traditions and customs, but now Peter is exercising this new principle that the priority now would be people and relationships. By the way, I hope that's true of us. I really hope that's true of us in our own personal life, that we begin prioritizing people and relationships rather than customs and traditions. It doesn't mean that we compromise on what sin is and what sin isn't. It doesn't mean we compromise on what holiness is, but it does mean when there's something that's not directly a sin or a holiness issue, but it's a custom and tradition issue, that we will err on the side of grace and we will prioritize people and relationships because at the end of the day, life is about relationships. No one goes through their deathbed and says, boy, I wish I would have just worn a tie to church on Sundays. You know, I stopped wearing a coat back in 1978, and I regret it. No, nobody says at the end of the day, I, I, wish, I wish I would have sung a few more of, the, more of those worship songs when the band was singing. I just loved him so much that I, I wouldn't sing the worship songs. And I wish I had. Um, really, at the end of our life, can I tell you, I've been at the deathbed of, of so many people. I've helped with so many funerals. Yesterday, I had a beautiful service out in Coquille for David Dalton. And uh, this is Pat Dalton's son. Um, and had a, a, an incredible turnout. And during the portion of the service where people get to just share about David's impact in their life, it just becomes abundantly clear in those moments that life is about relationships. And so I hope for us, the priority for us is not just traditions and customs, but in moments where we get to prioritize people and relationships, we do so. Uh, Peter goes on, verse 10, he says, this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. Verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. In other words, the Spirit told me to go with them, even though they weren't Jewish. They were Gentiles. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Now, this phrase, and we enter the man's house, there would have been an audible gasp in the Jerusalem council. This would have been his admission of guilt. There would have been some members of the Jerusalem council that says, we got him. We got him. He admitted going into their home. Yet Peter was careful to add that before he even entered the home, there was an angel standing in his house. And it's an important detail because what Peter is saying is this. If, I was permitted, if it was permitted for an angel of God to go into Cornelius' house, surely it was permitted for me to go. 
That's what he's saying. Verse 13, he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on him just as on us at the beginning. What he's saying is this, what happened to us way back when in Acts 2, when we were waiting and we were, we were there on the hill and we watched Jesus disappear and he said, I'm going to be back. And so we just waited there and we waited for him to come back. And then an angel said, hey, why are you standing here gazing? He said to go to Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem. And so we, when we went there and we waited and we waited and we waited and then the Holy Spirit came upon us, the exact same thing happened to them. It's no different. The Holy Spirit was the same It came on them just as on us. Peter's point to these Christian Jews were this. They could not withhold their acceptance when God had given his acceptance. We cannot pick and choose where God has given us clear guidance. We cannot pick and choose where God has given us clear guidance. I get a lot of questions throughout the week or throughout throughout the moments during the week where People ask me about gray areas in Scripture, and there's a part of me that likes to argue and debate what Scripture is clear and isn't clear on where the gray area is. But can I be honest? There's so much that we are accountable to that we know from Scripture is to be true. There's so much, and we cannot pick and choose where God has given us clear guidance. Where has God given you clear guidance in your life today? Where's an area that God has given you clear guidance. Um, He has clearly asked us to love one another. That's something we can't argue with. So you know what we're obligated to do? To love one another. He's asked us to forgive one another. So you know what we're obligated to do? Is to forgive one another. You say, well, I just... You know, I might forgive one day and then the next day. Yeah, we get to love and forgive again. You know what we're obligated to do is to be generous. We're obligated to be generous. We're obligated to give of our time and our resources. So when we start picking and choosing, even in areas where God has given us clear guidance, this is when the hierarchy begins in Christianity or where we think uh, some things are below us and some things are above us and, and we're only going to hold, hold ourselves accountable to a few things in Scripture. There has to be a moment for us where we stop picking and choosing and we say, where has God given me clear guidance? I will therefore submit in this area to be kind, to be compassionate, uh, to, to, to see the fruit of the Spirit be evidenced in our life, these are not op- options. These are not opportunities where we get to pick and choose like we're at a buffet and say, I think I'll be kind today. I'm not going to be forgiving today. I think I will be this today. And then we just go through life and we pick and choose depending on the day of the week. And we just, we can't do it, church. We cannot pick and choose where God has given us clear guidance. Verse 16. Peter is continuing. He says this, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now here where he drives it home, verse 17. If then God gave, everyone say the same gift, same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He says this, if, if, if God gave them the same gift he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Verse 18, to their credit, look at their response. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Have you ever tried to be opposed to God? It does not work out well for us. What Peter was asking them to consider is, is it in our place to stand in God's way? And if God's reaching out to the Gentiles, is it up to me to stand in God's way? For Peter, the decisive factor was that God gave the same gift to them as he gave to those that were in the upper room. And Peter's, end, Peter's defense ends with this rhetorical question, who am I to hinder God? Peter recognized the importance of sensing that we're, where God is going and heading that same direction instead of trying to persuade God to go your direction. Now, this is completely in alignment with most or with all of the other scriptures, I would say, about coming alongside of what God is already doing. Uh, look at verse 18 again. Uh, it says this, when they heard these things, they fell silent. The Jewish believers in Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, Acts 11 calls them, first reacted with stunned silence, but then they glorified God because they saw he was now at work among the Gentiles too. And then secondly, after they fell silent, they glorified God. So in your notes, a sign of being mature in our faith and being led by the Holy Spirit is having hearts soft enough to be guided and corrected. A sign of being mature is having hearts soft enough to be guided and corrected. When was the last time we were guided and corrected in our faith or in our worship towards who Jesus is? Now, I can tell you, if you're, if you're following Jesus, um, and if you are, if you are um, searching to please him with your life, there will be moments where the Spirit of God simply comes to you and guides you and corrects you. And if you haven't had that moment in the while, I would suggest you maybe we're going through the motions. Because the Holy Spirit will talk to you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He will remind you of things that you've already learned. He will uh, convict you. Remember that whole, uh, those dozen things or so we talked about what the Holy Spirit does in your life? When you have accepted Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, all of a sudden he starts doing an active work in you. And so we don't just go on autopilot anymore. There's moments in our life where the Holy Spirit will guide and correct. I love this verse in chapter, uh, verse 18 of chapter 11, because here's the church of Jerusalem. They've been, uh, they've been asking Peter what his defense is. And when Peter gives an articulate defense of why it's important that everybody hears the gospel, they fell silent and then they glorified God. They were convicted in that moment. And then they brought their worship to Jesus Christ. Now, in a moment where we're convicted, there's two options that we get to choose from. We, get to get, we either get to run towards Jesus and towards his people, or we withdraw and we isolate ourselves. 
And I can tell you if the temptation in your life is to isolate, is to bring you away from God's people, to bring you away from church and maybe away from the online service or away from the things of God, what ends up happening is you start building yourself a little uh, isolation paddock. And you get really comfortable just keeping an arm's distance from everyone. And you get really comfortable in your faith because you're removed from them. And if you're removed from them, you can't get hurt by them. And if you're removed from them, they can't sense the conviction that's in your life. And so you start staying away from God's people. You start staying away and then you start building this silo for yourself. And it gets so comfortable there, you just put a recliner in there. And you throw that bad boy back and you're just... This is nice. There's nobody around. No one's asking me how I'm doing. I wouldn't want to be honest with them anyway. This is kind of nice. I think I'll just watch on Sundays now. This is nice. And then Sundays come around, and then you, that impulse to be with God's people starts getting calloused in your life, and you further and further away. Any time that, you um, that you're tempted to come away from people, away from the Holy Spirit, away from worship, away from the teaching of Scripture, it should send a red flag in your heart, oh no, this conviction has now turned into guilt. And the Holy Spirit doesn't operate in guilt. That's the enemy of the soul. Anytime there's guilt in your life, that's from the enemy of your soul. What the Holy Spirit does, he convicts you to lead you to repentance. Verse 18 says, they felt silent comma, and in that space, they had a choice. They could raise the pitchforks for Peter. They could have strung him up. They could have lit him on fire. They could have stoned him like Simon. They could, or I'm sorry, like Stephen. They could have persecuted him even further. But in that space of time, it says he went silent, comma, and they glorified God. In other words, the conviction that they felt led them closer to who Jesus was. Now, they had been witness to the words, teachings, and miracles of Jesus. They had seen the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They had heard Jesus say, hey, we're supposed to go out into the all the world and teach the gospel, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They had seen all of those things happen. And yet, when it came time for the rubber to meet the road and people to actually hear the gospel that were not part of their ethnic group, now they were fully in on that. It's amazing to me that it took 11 chapters to get here, right? In chapter one, Jesus says, man, you're going to be witnesses to, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. Most of them haven't even traveled outside their hometown. And he's saying they're going to go to the end of the world. And it took 11 chapters for the church in Jerusalem to say, you know what? maybe the ends of the world really need the gospel. Now, what's funny is this. I say that in tongue in cheek that it took them 11 chapters to get there. But for us, how hard is it for us to go across the street and invite someone to church? How hard is it for us to, uh, to, to go check on a neighbor that you know who isn't doing well? How hard is it for us to be that person at work when someone shares something personal for you to be vulnerable and say, hey, can I pray for you and your family? Sounds like you're going through a really rough time. Now, we'd love to give them grief that it took them 11 chapters, but I'm 42 years old, and there's still moments in my life where I'm like silent when I should be speaking, right? And so the sign of being mature, the sign of being our hearts soft enough is to be guided and corrected in those moments from the Holy Spirit. 
Now the end, uh, this ends what is in various ways the most crucial drama recorded in the book of Acts, this whole Cornelius and Peter saga. And the sheer length and repetition are Luke's way of impressing his readers the significance of recognizing what's happened to them and how do you share that with other people. Paul words it this way. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. It's going to be on the screens for us. Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, what's the next word? Remember. Remember. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh and the hands, by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, remember what it was like. You were separated, you were alienated. In verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Aren't you glad for that but? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Church, there was a point in our life where we too had no hope where we too were separated, where we too were uh, abandoned, uh, where we too were without hope, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is why we are passionate about people coming and joining our church and committing to a church family. This is why missions is so important to us. This is why anytime you give to our church, we're going to take 13% of everything you give and immediately goes to missionaries. That's why there's 30 families in our church that give extra above and beyond their regular giving to ensure that all of these missionaries are supported from our church. This is why we go on mission trips, and you'll hear from the group in a little bit. This is why we support local missions here locally. Uh, this, is why, uh, this is why we strive to make sure that every person within the sound of our voice, within the impact of our life, gets the opportunity to see the hope we have in Jesus. Why? Because verse 14, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Do you believe there's a dividing wall of hostility in our world today? This is where Jesus, where Paul under their inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this, Jesus himself is our peace and he has made us both, what's the next word? One, what he's saying is this, there used to be Jews and there used to be Gentiles. There used to be those who were insiders and those who were outsiders. And the insiders were here and the outsiders were here, but Jesus himself is our peace. And now he has made us one. Now in the kingdom of God, we don't look at who's male or female or who's Gentile or, or Jewish or who's a master or who's a slave. We're all equal because Jesus is our peace. It doesn't matter what your resume is this morning in your personal life. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Jesus' grace is enough. And he has broken down in his flesh by virtue of him dying on the cross. He has broken down this dividing wall of hostility. We read on in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man 
in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. Boy, if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, what Paul and what Peter's example is this, it is not because of the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. And it is because of Jesus that we have peace one with one another. And it's because of the spirit that we have access to the father. Verse 19, it continues. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You and I, were no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens traveling. We are fellow citizens. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Amen and amen. Church, what we're saying here today is this, that outsiders, insiders, we all come equal at the throne of grace. And because of what Jesus has done for us, it should enable us to, to take down the wall of hostility that exists. You say, well, Daniel, I don't have a wall of hostility. I have like a fence of grievance. Yeah. What happens is this, though, when we allow ourselves to have anything that divides us, it fills us with pride to the point where we don't think anybody else can measure up to us. And when we get to that place in our life, our faith becomes really unattractive. You know what becomes really attractive is a faith that says, man, where are you from? Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to embrace that reality. Uh, what's your stage in life? That's great. Let's do this together. How can I love and support you? That kind of love where there's no wall of hostility between us allows us to be attractive to the world. I'm telling you, the world needs hope. I was talking to someone yesterday. He was 22, 23 years old. I made a stop on the way home. And, um, you know, I'm there's an A&W there. Is it Myrtle Point probably? I think it's Myrtle Point there's an A&W. So I stopped there to get a diet root beer. And um, so I'm in, my, I'm in my, let's just say this. If you wear a bow tie in Myrtle Point, you're going to stick out. <laughs> Can I just be honest with you, right? Absolutely. I didn't, you know, I, I just finished the service. I was trying to get back home. And I needed, I needed a little bit of uh, liquid energy, so I, I got some, diet. and the guy, the guy, he just said, where'd you come from? <laughs> and he wasn't being rude. You know how you can tell when someone's being rude. He was not being rude, but he just looked at me, and I walked out with my dress shoes, and my black shirt, and my bow tie. It was still on. I, I should have taken it off right when I got to the Myrtle Point, but <laughs> he goes, where did you come from? And I said, I said, there's a lot of ways I could answer that. 
And he goes, yeah, but that right there, you came from somewhere important. <laughs> and it was going to be a while because there was a line. And so I said, you know, I was, uh, I was helping some friends with a service, funeral service. I said, you know where Myrtle Crest is? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got family up that way uh, that are buried there. I said, yeah, we're on the top back right of the hill. And I was helping them with the service. And uh, so you, uh, you a preacher of some kind? I said, yeah, yeah. It's the joy of my life. I get to help people find Jesus. He said, I, I used to know Jesus. And it broke my heart there. He said, I used to know Jesus. And he started telling me a little bit about his story. And uh, I said, here's my phone number. If you ever just want to tell me your story again, I just want to listen. And if you let me, I'd come out here and I'd buy you lunch next week. And I, I want to tell you more about the Jesus I get to serve and the Jesus I've known. And what his story was about how he grew up in a church. And when he went through something difficult in life, there was this wall of hostility. And all of a sudden, he found himself without a church. And for most people, when they find themselves without a church, they found themselves without Jesus. Because the church ends up becoming the bridge to a relationship with who Jesus is. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May it be said of us in our church that in the structure of you and I, there exists no wall of hostility. That in the body of Christ, as long as there's breath in our lungs and our lives get to have impact in this world, whether we're singing our stage or whether we're just living our life, whether you're greeting people or whether you're just trying to figure out what this faith looks like, may it never be said of us, oh yeah, uh, you wouldn't be welcome there. You probably should go somewhere else. May it never be said of us that, oh, you've gone through what? Uh, I don't know if they'll love you there. May it be said of us that we are a church full of outsiders because we remember that you and I once were as well. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you, and have a beautiful day.